Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast, presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Monday, June 5th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Zlatan retires, Benzema leaves Real Madrid, and Spurs finally have a new manager. But first, City have won the double. Wow, what an amazing game. I was so, so happy to win that thing. Holy shit. Um, But first, before we get into that, please like, share, subscribe. Please find us on squeakybumtime.com. Please find us on TikTok under squeakybumtime and on Instagram on Laurent1056. Please follow us, love us, share us, and any comments you make, I'll definitely get you on the air. Or join the WhatsApp group. Let me know on any of those Uh, platforms and we'll let you join the group so let's get to it city have won the double it was pretty straightforward city scored a record in the first 12 seconds of the game ortega boom to holland knocks it down to kevin de bruyne kevin de bruyne knocks the ilkay gundogan who fought who volleys the header into the top corner in 13 seconds people hadn't even sat down and city were already up one nil and i could not have been happier because with City you just want them to score the goals they need to score as soon as possible and as early as possible and once City do score goals early in games they're really pretty unstoppable they don't really lose leads they don't really have a hard time and they don't really suffer that much but I do want to talk about the double before we go into the trouble in the game and all that for City fans and for other fans We're making light of the double itself. Winning the double, as defined by me, is winning the Premier League, the League, and the National Cup. Not the League Cup and the FA Cup, not the Europa League and the League Cup, or the FA Cup and Europa League. That takes out a couple of doubles that Liverpool specifically have won the League Cup and the FA Cup, or the League Cup and the UEFA Cup. They're famous for their treble of lame cups, but... When we talk about the double historically and where it puts teams, it is winning the league, your primary country's cup, so the FA Cup, the one from 1860s, and the European Cup. That is the trouble. That's not anything else. You can make up other things that you want it to be. They have they when people say the treble, that is what they mean. Inter won the treble. They won the Coppa Italia, the Scudetto, and the Champions League. Those are what I'm talking about. Barcelona won the treble with Pep. They won the Copa del Rey, La Liga, and the Champions League. So I want to get into it because in England, the double has only been won by six clubs, but not the first four or five of them. Three of them are from the 18th century. So six clubs. United have done it three times, 93, 94, 98, 99. That's where they live their legend. That's why Manchester United are such a big deal. I don't know what that 93-94 one was. It must be a League Cup because they did not win the Champions League. Uh, wait. Oh, the double. Right. Sorry. My mistake. The double. So they won the FA Cup in the league. They won the FA Cup in the league. United's history before the Premier League was very much as a cup team. They would win the FA Cup periodically. Arsenal, the famous 70-71 team that won the double, very famously covered in, um, in Fever Pitch, where he talks about that very passionately the 97-98 team won the double and the 2001-2002 team so that's a double 
So that's six times. And then City won it in 1819 and have now just won it in 22-23. So Preston North End won it in 1889, undefeated. The year before that, Aston Villa, no, sorry, 10 years later, Aston Villa won it in 1896. Tottenham did it in 60-61. That's what they're famous for. And Liverpool, shockingly, only did it once in 85-86 with Arsenal with Chelsea doing it in 2009 and 10. That's not to say it diminishes it. It's, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams have done it with only, you know, with only United, Arsenal, and City doing it more than once. So it's not nothing. It's not nothing. So I just wanted to celebrate the FA Cup being an actual thing that is good to win. And I felt great winning it. City hung on and did their thing. Going through the game, I'll just bring up the sides that played in this sucker. So City played their normal back four. Walker, Walker, Akanji, Diaz, Stones, and Rodri, and De Bruyne, and Gundogan. And we'll get to that in a second because for some reason I wrote it all down and then I lost it a second ago. But I'll get I'll get the lineups to be properly proper and we'll read them over again. <laughs> silly little silly little me getting the thing all wrong let's get this thing right okay here's the lineups okay here we go again city with walker diaz Ikanji with stones and rodri in the midfield along with the front line of of the front the four in the midfield of silva de bruyne gundogan and grealish with erling holland up top the unusual thing being for City, that Ortega played instead of Ederson. So that was a little bit of a talking point earlier in the game that I think Pep will be uh, happy with who he chose because Ortega was integral in playing this game. United played De Gea, Shaw, Lindelof, Ferran, Wambasaka, which is what I said. Fred did come in with Casemiro, Erickson, Sancho, and Fernandez. No Anthony. Sancho was terrible. Rashford was in there too. So it started out Poor United were on the back foot immediately because of that goal in 13 seconds. And then it just sort of settled in. And I think to United's credit, they tried to fight. They tried to do what they can. They really did clutter the middle and used Fred to shadow De Bruyne. And he followed him all around the pitch. And City didn't create too much in the half. Only only a few shots on target the whole game. A very tactical game. City only have 11 shots, five on target. There were some danger moments here and there. I feel like Holland had a missed shot here and there. De Gea didn't have to do too much. 60% possession, nothing crazy from City. This was not a great performance from City, frankly. It was very ho-hum, but very controlled. They got the early goal. They could control. They did take their foot off the gas almost immediately in turn. They're like, okay, we've got this game. But then, on a cross, ball hoofed up. Uh, I thought Wambasaka, when I saw him in the lineup, I was like, Jack Grealish is going to have a bad game. And he did. But a cross, Wambasaka is in the box. He crosses it. Jack Grealish's hand is up. They jump together. He's within two feet of him. Ball hits his hand. No call by Tierney, the referee. Uh, and it's just kind of there. We're just like, okay, handball. Some hands go up for the United players. And like, whatever. They pop the ball around a little bit. And then we just go to VAR, and I just I don't want to go too into it because I lost my mind in the moment. But they call a penalty on Jack Grealish. The ball hit his finger. It was above his head, and the ball hit off his finger. He wasn't looking at it. In all of history, this would have never been a penalty, but it was. United with the lifeline. And it's just like, okay, we're going to do this. So United had been thoroughly and 100% outplayed, as you would have expected them to be. 
And, uh, you know, they get the lifeline. Bruno finishes it off. Nice for him. Very nice. And we kind of just go into the half with just like, it's 1-1. United are probably like, oh, I guess this is cool. We're in this game. Thank God. But City were like, what the fuck? What is up with this? So that was kind of bogus. There was some discussion on the goals, especially the second one for De Gea. Is he a good keeper? This is another talking point. Could he have been at fault for the first goal? Maybe he doesn't dive. And then we'll get into the second goal. Another incredible volley. The second half starts. Kevin De Bruyne on a free kick. Pass it, sort of bounces around, gets to Gundogan. And he sort of shin-knees it. And it's like a seeing-eye shot. And it does not appear when you watch the replay that De Gea reacted to it. It was already moving and past the first defender before De Gea starts really moving towards the ball, and it falls under him. And so City have the 2-1 lead. And for the next 10 minutes, I think, I feel like United were just like, what do we do? We're not doing, we're not giving them anything, but we're not doing anything. Uh, Erickson came off for Garnacho, And that, I think, was from Ten Hag, a statement of intent. He was not getting on the wing what he needed from uh, from Sancho. The midfield, He, I think he just kind of thought, well, I'm not winning this midfield game. Let's just bypass it. And Garnacho, I thought, was fantastic. He really was lively. His blonde hair looking like Tim Burgess from the Charlatans. And he had that youthful exuberance. And I did. I was afraid. When I watch United, the player that I'm afraid of most often is Bruno when he's on the ball on those three-quarter areas in the half spaces and Rashford when he's cutting in. Rashford did have a shot that he blazed over, but he was mostly ineffectual. He tried to get in behind a couple times on Diaz, but Diaz was able to muscle him. And then another time he was one-on-one, and Walker just swallowed it up and took the ball off him, which is always fantastic. I love when Walker steals a ball off some run. And then I think the issue that you saw with United was they simply don't have the depth to keep going. So Garnacho was additive. Then he takes off Sancho and brings on Weghorst, and he's just not doing much. And then the funny thing that I always notice is how just because Veghorst is tall, you get this, oh, they're bringing on for the long ball and to kick it up to him. When anyone who's anyone who's ever watched Veghorst for any amount of time knows he's not a target man. You got to play the ball to feet for him. He's a passer. He's a linker. He's not a, he's not fucking, um, he's not a guy you put the ball on his head and he heads it in. That's just not what he does. He's just tall. So it's just weird how these teams play. And then I think for the last, I'd say, once McTominay came on on 83, City suffered for a little while. I thought United gave a good account of themselves. They didn't give up. Tierney was terrible in this game. The refereeing was pretty bad, especially the handball. There was a potential, I would say, marginal red on Casemiro where both players went down, but I don't want to... I don't want those given anyway. I hate VAR. So I'm glad they didn't call it. This game was even. No one can really say, oh, I won, you lost because of X, Y, or Z, like the shitty FA Cup game. Yes, United got given that lifeline of a penalty. But aside from that, they really didn't create anything. There was a scramble towards the end. McTominay hit the top of the bar where you thought, oh, wow, that that could have been a problem. But City saw it out. On the City side, what this game means is they're on for the trouble just can't say it loud enough it's insane uh they have a chance to be immortal and this team has a spirit and a connectivity and a love between players that i think is a little bit 
different than previous teams. It's all Pep guys. It's There's nobody from holdover areas or different managers. It's now seven years in with Pep. I don't think there's a player on the team that was there before Pep. I think De Bruyne is the only one. So Sterling leaving... Fernandinho, Gundogan, now captain, was the first player he signed. Stones has been there, second player he signed. So the whole team is a Pep team. So I think this is the first time that Pep has a squad that is all people that either want, that he chose or want to be with him or that he's worked with a long time that he can feel good about. And he did give credit to Chika Begaristan, which I think is accurate. I, I think one of the narratives around City is that it's all money, 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 money. And the money matters. It Don't get me wrong. And the cheating and all that bullshit. I, I hear you. But this astute, astute buying of players and improving of players. And just like Akanji, 15, 20 million. Ilkay Gundogan was 20 million seven years ago. So he's nothing. Some cost. Uh, Foden came on and, and did the business. And we have Laporte who wants to leave, but he's on the team. But no one complains. Nothing comes out of the city camp about complaints. This is a zero complaint team. And they genuinely like each other. And you can tell from the celebrations, a lot of hugging, a lot of Erling Holland, a lot of like lifting of trophies and Pep was crying. And this team is together and they're really on a mission. Like I said, very much reminiscent of the 2014 Spurs who lost in heartbreaking fashion the season before to the Miami Heat on the Ray Allen shot and come back the following season with fucking death in their mind. Like we're not fucking losing that Real Madrid loss 6-5 on aggregate not this season but the season before is a galvanizing force that I think is driving City on and I bet when City lift that Champions League trophy that's what they'll say they will say that the loss to Real Madrid hurt them in a way that they could not really understand until they kept playing and went again so Really interesting stuff, really cool, a really good Manchester derby, fighty, bitty, choppy, but still well played. On the United side, they can hold their heads up high, they played well, they're not ready. They are players and players away. They, I could see, you know, they need another Fred type, they need a passer, they need a striker badly who can be threatening and scary the way Holland is. They need to replace De Gea really badly, he was culpable if not at fault for both goals, and he doesn't play out, he's afraid, and it sort of hurts United's buildup. They can't get any control of games and fluidity because their best players, when they play with Wambasaka and they play with De Gea and they play with Varane, they don't really have ball-playing center backs that allow them that control and pattern building and that they can play back. Everything's got to go into the midfield and it's got to get Bruno and Eriksen on the ball. And from there, they've got to sort of be a bit more frantic because they don't have the options to play the ball back and forth, right? When they're in the build-up mode and they want to control a game, they can't play with all 11 players the way City can, the way Brighton can, the way Arsenal can. They can only play with eight. So what does that mean? You get nervous. That means you've got to get rid of the ball. You've got to pass to someone quicker because the options behind you aren't available and those passes are always safe and you end up with teams pressing you because you can't make forward tricky passes and you've got to rely on Bruno to be the creative fulcrum who gets everything connected. I thought Erickson, he always has his touches, but as a, as a defender, he's weak. He doesn't see the danger, I think, for the Ilkay Gundogan goal. He's an attacking midfielder, and he kind of just let Gundogan be in space to shoot what he shot. That doesn't mean 
a million times out of a million, he doesn't take that shot and it goes in. But in retrospect, why does Gundogan have that much time? Why are City able to win two-headed balls in the first 13 seconds of the game? Same thing for the second goal. Guy's not getting out. Guy's not really on the edge of the box. And City just can hurt you no matter what. So uh, I think if I have to give grades for City, City's already an A+. And they already won two titles and are going for a trouble against Inter. And then for United, I think it's a trickier grade. Um, I think this summer is what's big for them. I give them a B. They finished in third. They won a trophy and they went to a final. I think any United fan would have taken this season. You know, maybe you'd trade the League Cup for the FA Cup. Maybe you would have liked to push a little bit better. Maybe had a couple of better performances. Maybe not have had the 7-0 against Liverpool. But all in all, a positive season for United where, you know, the season started with the two bad losses, the the Ronaldo being in their shit all day, figuring out what to do with Sancho and getting that together, getting Erickson in was a huge get, figuring out McFred and finding Casemiro, like I said, dealing with all the injuries at the back. Lissandro Martinez has been a bright spot. Luke Shaw, always a bright spot. The rebuilding or the at least finding use for Wambasaka, I can't tell you as much as a team that's a ball possession team how petrifying Wambasaka is. Now, when United are in attack and he has the ball, I'm like, good, let Wambasaka have the ball. I don't care about that because he's not dangerous. But he's basically the opposite of Trent Alexander Arnold. He's a defensive wizard who can destroy anything, but going forward is terrible. And, you know, with Trent Alexander Arnold being wizard going forward and all defense is petrifying so he's if you could combine those two into one player you'd have the greatest fullback of all time Wambasaka scares the shit out of me in both ways going forward he's terrible defending he's a freaking inspector gadget leg destroyer and he scares me so united b maybe b minus but you know i don't have this expectation that united fans do i only know them as losers and so they're losers so that's good <laughs> Uh, let's go on to some other things in the news that are flying around. The great and powerful Zlatan Ibrahimovic has retired from world football. He goes out as a, let me see here, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 time league champion. And what I like about his league championship pedigree is that it's all over the world. He won in every league, at every level. He won with Ajax. He won with Juve before the Calisipo scandal. He won with Inter three times in a row when they won a treble with Mourinho, but left just before... Sorry, not, not with Mourinho. He left just before they won their Champions League. Goes on to Barcelona with Pep. Doesn't have a great season, but they win La Liga. Then on to Milan for the first time, then he has his amazing seasons at PSG, winning the four titles in a row with Ancelotti and Laurent Blanc. Has his, I can play in the Premier League at 34 years old. Has a great season. They win the Europa League. Goes to MLS. Annihilates MLS with, with true swagger. Lights up the world. Scores 30 goals in 29 games. Telling the MLS, you guys are fucking clowns. Then goes back like a prodigal son at 39 years old. Goes back to Milan. 37, 38, 39, goes back there and they win a title that they had been missing for decades. And so he goes out a legend, leads his team. He does have, if you want to go, we don't have these issues like we do in in American sport, but 
Um, they, sorry, he, he does not have a Champions League victory. So if we want to go to rings culture and the Champions League is the rings of all rings, then unfortunately Zlatan is ringless. <laughs> and he does not have a title to his name. Never gets to lift the Big Ears trophy. But thankfully we don't really have that sort of thing in soccer. He's still going to be an all-time great. And I think what we remember about him is for the size and the technical gifts and the fitness that he had, he rarely was injured. He played for so long, and the personality, just a level of fun, a level of interest, a level of, quote, that in papers always looked ridiculous, but when you saw him make the quotes, it was always tongue-in-cheek. It was always funny. He just had the confidence that I think you need to be a great footballer, but he had the voice and the the chatter to be an all-time great. I just remember him being on American TV when he was on in the galaxy and going on first take or sorry, going on PTI with with, you know, grizzled American sports writers and just holding their own and them just loving him like they love Mourinho and they loved Wilbon and Kornheiser. They loved Mourinho. They loved Zlatan. So these guys that just give them quotes and they just laugh at them and they don't know anything about soccer, but they just completely enjoyed Zlatan whenever he was on. So he'll be remembered as a personality and as a winner and as someone who won in four different leagues. So pretty, pretty good stuff for him. And then the other big, big seismic move is Karim Benzema, your previous year's Ballon d'Or winner, moving on from Real Madrid to the Saudi League. He leaves as a five-time Champions League winner, I believe, four at least. Winner of La Liga, one, two, three, four, to go along with his four league on. Started at 16 in 2004. He's 14 years as a striker at Real Madrid. If there is a harder, more difficult position to retain in all of world football, it is striker at Real Madrid. And he did it for 14 years. You want to talk about pressure and attack and people on your ass and people giving you a hard time and being dissected for the minutia of your play. Being at Real Madrid for 14 years is just incredible. Granted, a lot of those years were behind Cristiano who took the limelight, but it was Benzema's work and professionalism that just made that thing stick. And he's the second all-time leading scorer for Real Madrid. That is a massive honor. And as we know, he won't be loved the way your Spaniards are loved. And he'll never be Raul. You know, he'll never be he'll never be Ico Casillas. He'll never be Sergio Ramos because he's not Spanish. But as much as a foreign-born player can be loved at Real Madrid. He is going to be remembered as a legend. He'll always be remembered. And I think he just really wanted to go out before he declined. And this sets the dominoes in motion. Uh, We've been talking about Harry Kane a little bit. I'll talk about him now as we transition into Spurs. So Spurs have their new manager, Ante Kotonaklu. I have to, he has a Greek name. I'm going to, I'm going to, Postacoglu, his name is, Postecoglou. I want to make sure I get it right. <laughs> yes. Ange Postecoglou, who was managing at Celtic. They had just won the treble. He's been a grafter and a worker, but he probably won't have Harry Kane now because if there is a player who is as plug and play into Real Madrid's front line as Karim Benzema, it is Harry Kane. 
Harry Kane is a clone of Karim Benzema. Now, you can argue whether his mentality is the same, whether, you know, that level of like you going in being the man, whereas Benzema had to was able to be behind Ronaldo and be behind other play, Higuain earlier on. I don't know if if Harry Kane is has that mentality, but he's there. He's ready for the big time. He's ready to step into that spot. In terms of talent, in terms of goal scoring, he is from the outside. Harry Kane would be the perfect replacement for Benzema, but can he handle it? Does he want to leave England? My take is he has three kids with one on the way. I don't know about him moving from England with his wife about to have their fourth child. I don't know how they are, but that would be my guess. I'm just going on like wives and moving and all that shit. She's probably going to be like, can we not move? I'd rather not. Like, why don't you just stay at Spurs? So that's my thinking on that. That's I'm just going with like that kind of stuff. Because if you have four kids, you don't want to be moving them to Spain when your wife's going to have a baby. So that's a little bit weird. I could see United would make sense. Then he's at United. They can, you know, he can get the English record. His wife can be like, I'll just drive. We'll stay. You know, we'll commute. Because England's really small. You can just drive back and forth. But to move to Spain this point in his career with his wife having a one on the way, he's going to have to have some some chats with his missus about how that works. <laughs> Uh, but on to Postacoglu, he has a very, very fascinating past starting out, you know, just in in Australia. Starts out in South Melbourne, takes on a second division Greek team, Panachaki, then White Sea Zebras. So just small time teams within Australia, Brisbane Roar. These are almost 30, these are like semi-pro, low-level Australian. Melbourne victory, we get into the big time. The Australian league grows. He takes the Australia job. He lets them move into some top tournaments. Then his real first job is with Yokohama. Famously, Yokohama was where... Oh, no, that was Grandpa's. No, maybe it was Yokohama. I'm not I'm sure I don't remember, but Arsene Wenger started there and then came. So he's in Japan, then goes to Celtic. And at Celtic, he revives Celtic after they had fallen behind their arch rivals, Rangers, and now brings them back into doing the double. The thing with them is that, with Postacoglu, is that he's got a strong personality, very Australian, very forthright, very friendly, but very serious. Like, he's an immigrant kid who went from fucking Greece on a boat and worked his way up and has managed the hard way. Like, all the rocks, all the steps... Celtic is his first big job. He's very frank and honest, really good in his interviews, really strong Australian accent. He's going to be fun for the league. We'll see how he does with Spurs. I have a feeling he'll have to have Spurs without Harry Kane. So let's assume that he's going to be able to uh, bring in three or four players that he can take to take over Spurs. And we'll see what he does. I'm just going to see his his championship. So Won a title at South Melbourne. Won three titles with Brisbane Roar. Won a championship U20s for Australia, under-17s, under-20s. Won an Asian Cup for Australia. So he's had some things under his belt. These are not insignificant. Won the J-League with Yokohama. So wherever he's gone, he's won things. Uh, Granted, I'm sure Australia would have rather have gone to the World Cup. I don't know if he was in a cycle for that. But he's an accomplished capable manager 
who, as he's gone up the rungs, has displayed a winning mentality of a good coach. This is what you want to see. You just want to see a guy who, at every level, wins. Now, Spurs is another step up. It's another challenge. I think he can do it. He seems to be presents himself well. I recommend, if you're a Spurs fan, go check out his interviews. He's quite good, and he's really well-loved by the Celtic fans, who are historically want Irish managers, and they got a Greek. So he's not like a completely foreign, like weird, you know, totally disconnected from culture. He's an English speaker. He's really cool. And he plays an attacking kind of swashbuckly kind of football that I think Spurs fans will feel good about. I think this is a good appointment, and I'm looking forward to him being in the Premier League. But it'll be really contingent on what Harry Kane wants to do, where he wants to go, what his plans are, and where he's going to go. It's a little bit of a dangerous moment for Spurs. Uh, I do wonder what Levy's up to, where they want to go, what they want to do, and how they manage all this stuff. It's a little bit wacky. Okay, so that's Spurs. That's Postacoglu. That's Manchester City. That's the treble on, on point. Other things around football. There's a lot of stuff moving around. We still have... West Ham playing Fiorentina for the junior, junior title of Europa Conference League. It's one of the last finals left. So we've got this, this freaking conference league game. Uh, you know, my understanding from Fiorentina, they're a very high press team, high line team. So one of these things that you see, you know, they have high defenders. And I would imagine that Moyes is going to sit deep and try and have Antonio run in behind and see if they can't score a goal that way. West Ham are not going to change the way they play just because it's Fiorentina. It's a weird controversy here. They chose a really small stadium in the Czech Republic that only holds 30,000. So there'll only be 5,000 West Ham fans and 5,000 Fiorentina fans. It's a shame for the West Ham fans that they didn't pick a larger stadium to get more of their folks in. I'm sure It's a a once-in-a-lifetime thing for someone like West Ham to be in a large tournament like this that they have a chance to win a title. A European title for David Moyes. Not bad. Not bad. I'm going to go with Fiorentina. I don't trust Moyes to win a big game (laughs) that he has to win. He lost the last one against freaking Eintracht Frankfurt. But, uh, you know, this is cool. A lot of England stuff. A lot of cool stuff. Uh, Also over this West Ham thing is where Declan Rice is going to go. He could go anywhere, honestly. He's, I think it's going to be like where other players go that determines where Declan Rice goes. So Declan Rice, grown up in the Chelsea system, friends with Mason Mount, also on the move, but has been at West Ham his whole career, captain at 22, learned, at cap, yeah, cap, into the side at 18, captain at 20. You know, he's not scoring too many goals. He's done a little bit better, but he's moving further and further forward as things happen. He may get a chance to win a trophy. He's got a lot of minutes playing 38, 32, 36, 37 games every season in Premier League. It's very rare for a 23-year-old midfielder to have that many games and that many minutes in his legs. So he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to be careful about where his body is. But he's a big lad. He's a type of player who changes your team. All of a sudden, your midfield has a boss who can take the ball from defense progress it through the midfield, make the right passes, and break up play. He'll get right in front of people to stop them from doing anything. Just incredible stuff there around Declan Rice. So that's Declan Rice moving on. 
with West Ham in the conference league. And that's fascinating stuff. A couple other things that you may not have known was going on. The Women's World Cup and the Women's Champions League final just happened. I'll start with the Champions League. Barcelona Femenini go back-to-back winning the Champions League versus Wolfsburg women. But it was not easy this time. They went down two goals to nil. Angie Pop just popping Barcelona in the mouth. We're down 2-0 at the break. But the mighty and powerful Barcelona are able to get themselves back on track Scored three second-half goals. One was comical. A ball kicked the Wolfsburg defender. Kicked the ball off her teammate's face. That didn't go well. (laughs) And so Barcelona do end up winning the Women's Champions League for the second time in a row. I don't think they've lost a game in like two years. (laughs) Barcelona are just incredible. I'm not even being funny. They are the greatest team in football that no one is talking about. Barcelona, just incredible. I want to give a shout out to the goal scorers. Patricia Gurjayo scored two on 48 and 50. And then the winning go-ahead goal on 70 from Fridolina Rodolfo. Just incredible stuff. And Alexander Pop does get the goal on 37. But this game was not close. It was 3-2. But from the XG department, Barcelona's was 4.6 to Wolfsburg's 0.7. So it was not actually close, and Barcelona just really bossed it all the way through and probably should have had more goals. But that's just how the cookie crumbles, and that's the women's football season ending. We did have a chance, unfortunately. Both Chelsea and Man City and Manchester United all went out earlier in this competition. It's really hard to win this. It's really hard to qualify. It's an incredible tournament that we have to give a lot of credit to the great and powerful Lyon, who were winners of this a million times. But Chelsea had knocked them out. But then Chelsea got knocked out by Barcelona and Arsenal, Arsenal, both in the semifinals, lost to Wolfsburg 5-4 on aggregate. Arsenal not able to get it done, and we didn't get an All-England final like we could have. But we keep watching women's football. It's still growing. I love the brands. I love the men's teams. I love the women's teams, and we'll see what happens. The great and powerful Steph Houghton did re-sign with my beloved Manchester City, so our captain returns. And if you did not know, the Women's World Cup, you wait for Women's World Cup, will be hosted in Australia and New Zealand this summer, coming July, I believe. Uh, Still to be determined where it's going to be televised. I'm pretty sure in the U.S. we've got this solidified. But in Europe, there's this big controversy around the Women's World Cup being televised. The UEFA, sorry, FIFA won it for between 10 and 15% of the fees for the men's men's final. But the broadcasters in Europe don't want to pay more than like 1% or 2% because it's in Australia and the time zones are bad. This is one of these sexism things. It's a hot button tissue. It's a hot button problem. Get it done. Get it on the air. If you're FIFA, why don't you just give it away? I don't know. I don't know. I have a, I take the Bill Burr issue here. Women. I like your sport. It's not my job to promote your sport. I watch men's football. I support women's football as much as I can. If you want women's football to be as big as men's football and have equity, you have to go to the games. You have to have podcasts. You have to tweet about them. You have to spend 10 hours a week watching football and make people know how much you care about it. 
Men can't do both. It's on you. Women, back each other up. Watch the games. Demand that it's on. Men, we have, we are supporting you, but this is a you problem, <laughs> not a me problem. I love it. I love, I'll be watching. I'll be supporting the Lionesses. I'll be supporting the U.S. men's national team. I'll be supporting women's soccer. I enjoy it a lot, especially at the national level, but it's just, I just have my own issues with it. Like, I want all I want the US teams in the US to be associated with MLS clubs so that they're all the same. Why is there a San Diego Wave and a San Diego Loyal? Why aren't they both, both the Loyal? Why don't they all wear the same colors? Why is the LA Galaxy and the LA Angels different? Why isn't it all LAFC? Why don't they all wear the same gear? I don't understand it. It's not personal. We're not trying to destroy you or not let you be individuals. I just think it's better to piggyback off a brand than try and build new ones when you're a burgeoning league. Just my opinion, not sexist, just what I think. Okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I'm pretty much done. I will be in New York City for the Champions League final. Uh, I will be at Soccer Hooligan Day. I will be scared. I am starting to get scared of Inter Milan, who are on, who just won their last game in the Serie A season, having won 11 of 12 down the stretch. So they're kind of in form. They're not a slouch. City could lose. They could lose. I'm telling you. City could lose the trouble. And if they lose the trouble to enter, I'm just not starting this show. And I'm not doing another episode. I'm just going to go home and go to sleep. Because I can't take City losing the trouble. Okay. That was the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel and presented it exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show so more people can enjoy. And thank you, and have a great evening and season.